This is Aaron and Patricia. My name is Aaron. My name is Patricia. Hey, Patricia. And this is episode 9, I believe, on the 26th of April, 2020. Uh, so thank you very much for joining into Aaron and Patricia. Uh, so today we've got a very special show. We are wrapping up Autism Awareness Month, and uh, we are going to have a very special interview uh, with an autistic person on the show. So uh, we're going to be talking with Jessica in just a couple of minutes. But uh, if uh, that's not your bag, we've got plenty of other stuff currently going on as well. I'm um, just going to get the list up. Uh, so uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the latest situation in North Korea. Uh, we're going to be doing some aftermath talk also on Dream Machine on uh, Trolls World Tour. Uh, Prince Lewis is painting himself on social media on the, for the Royal Family f uh, social media run, but I'm going to tell you why that's a distraction from everything else that's going on. Uh, we're going to be uh, previewing the Howard Ashman story on Disney+. Plus. That's going to be coming up in July. Uh, Father Ted is uh, having its 25th anniversary. We're going to tell you about that as well. And Jojo Siwa for playing Debbie Formbury in a Wild Formberries uh, live-action movie. We're going to tell you why that's a joke. And also, would you believe it, after after several years, probably like 24 years, the 1996 Space Jam website is still online to this day. Why? You are listening to The Aaron Meta Show. So the first thing we're going to do is wrap up Autism Awareness Month, and uh, we are going to speak with a person with autism who is very keen to tell her story, her experiences, and also growing up uh, with the uh, being on the spectrum. Joining us now from Manchester, uh, New Hampshire, is Jessica Ness, and uh, we like to welcome her to the show. Hi everybody, I'm Jessica Ness. I'm from Manchester, Pennsylvania. Yeah, and so uh, we've actually got the probably the first ever interview from Manchester, New Hampshire, to Manchester in the United Kingdom. So uh, this is uh, this is a this is a one-off for us, I think, in the uh, twelve years that we've been doing this, I've been broadcasting. Uh. So Jessica, thank you very much for being on the show. So um, Autism Awareness Month is wrapping up, and so I want to get your reaction to everything that uh, we basically have uh, experienced uh, in this month and uh, what it. Means to you well is definitely a roller coaster i myself would know because i have autism most likely i have the high functioning case tell us uh, from the very beginning i mean from di when were you diagnosed with autism um i don't remember exactly how old i was but according to my mother i was between the ages of nine and ten and how early in life would you say you kind of felt different from everyone else around you well, I would say it started it started from when I was a teenager. A lot of people would um would say that I was different. People would um say mean things about me behind my back. In fact, there was one time when I was in high school, I don't remember exactly, but one of my classmates actually said something nasty about me behind my back. I think she called me retarded. I, I don't remember, but my twin sister, Samantha, um, she defended me and protected me from that. And how does it feel when someone calls you the R word? It, it really hurts deep down. I mean, I mean, I know I'm different, and I know that I, that I do have a lot of naive moments, but... I'm just like everybody else, if you think about it. I mean, and that's the thing. I would be a whole lot better if the government would allow all adults with autism to have programs to better themselves. Because if they had programs for adults with autism, I would be a lot better off. Because, base, because honestly, my social skills are very poor, and 
I do tend to talk about things that are very inappropriate. So tell us about, um, I mean, you say you've got these ideas for programs that the government should be uh, helping you with. And so uh, tell us about what you would like the government to, uh, to do to help you in uh, engaging with society, uh, potentially finding you know, better employment opportunities, things like that. Uh, what would you say the government could do, which will probably put you in a better situation than you are at this present time? Well, honestly, I would have to say programs that would help me improve my social skills, interact with others that have autism, and engage in activities that would um, put me in a much more comfortable environment emotionally. And you feel like, I mean, whose responsibility would you say that was? Would you say it was at the state level or would you say it was at the federal level? I think it would be mostly the um, the state level. Yeah. And being autistic in the state of New Hampshire, I mean, uh, have you, what, what has been your experience in regards to being in the system? Considering my social skills are very poor, um, I'd have to say... It gives me a lot of discomfort being around and being around other autistic person. I have I haven't even been around other autistic people. I mean, except for my my boyfriend Barry, who I've been with for eight years and have known for fourteen years, six years as friends, and eight years as a couple. So. It's very interesting that you, uh, I mean, you say that your social interactions are poor, but you still manage to be in a relationship for eight years. I mean, like, it's, uh, I mean, do you mind if you tell us how that came about? Okay, well, first of all, we were friends for six years at, at York Suburban. It, we met first off when I was riding my school van to York Suburban High School. He was at the middle school at the time, and he used to um, help me on the van. Um, we used to talk a little bit, but our interactions weren't quite um, really open. And two, year, two years after I graduated, we didn't see or hear from each other for the past two years after I graduated from the high school. And then, as fate would have it, in 2011... We ended up reuniting at the Commonwealth Technical Institute, which is at the High M.G. Andrews Center in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. So, um, anyway, Barry was one of the people that got me through my homesickness phase. Um, we, um, we rekindled our friendship, basically. And while we were bonding, Barry sort of started having these these feelings for me that he couldn't quite express because of his Asperger syndrome. But um, he, it wasn't until October 27th of that year he was able to work his, feeling, his feelings for me out in his own head. And he asked me, it, was, it happened during a Halloween party that the school was holding in the rec room. Um, after, we danced for a little while and he he had these adorable dance moves, his own creative dance moves that would, uh, that he was um, trying to impress me and trying to be a show-off. But later, later during that party, he asked me if we, want, if we could talk alone. So I said yes, and we did, and 
in his own way, he basically he basically said that his feelings for me were growing into something more than friendship. Basically, in his own way, he was saying he was falling in love with me. He asked me during the party if he wanted to give it a try, us having a relationship. And I said yes, and everything took off from there. And we've been together for eight years ever since. Oh, well, that's, that's amazing, Jessica. And, uh, you know, I mean, how does it feel having someone so special in your life, given the fact that, uh, you know, um, you say that your social skills are quite poor? I mean, like, uh, has he become quite a, has he become a person who you rely on quite a lot now in, in regards to, has he become like a, a very strong person in your life? Yes, absolutely. I mean, he's been... Anytime I had some hard, unfortunate hardships with my family, unfortunate family events, you might say, um, he's been my support. He, he's been the one person I can talk to and the one person who would understand my situations because having Ashburgers himself, he would have similar unfortunate family situation with his own family so he can totally understand what i've been going through and he can give me comfort and he's basically not just my not just my boyfriend and the love of my life but also my best friend it's amazing because uh, you know I also talk with various other uh, friends who uh, I mean I am you know a bit of a stronger social stance within my friends for, with uh, who I with and uh, I speak with them with their, with their couples and you know they're starting to basically get married and start to have children and things like that and uh, you know it's it's funny because um, sometimes um, they say oh yeah well um, you know we uh, we have this really strong bond and things like that but uh, you know when you're i would imagine when you're in a situation where you know social interaction is very very difficult including for myself as well is someone who uh, myself has autism and asperger's syndrome you know it's uh, for me like uh, you know i'm with patricia at the minute and uh, i couldn't imagine you know a day that where we weren't together you know like it's uh, you know i, I you know a friendship to me you know that relationship now uh, feels far more special than you know anything else that i have in my life right now and, uh, you know, so, yeah, so sorry about talking in, in, in the third sense, but, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, sorry about that. yeah, I'm actually curious, uh, Jessica, that, um, you know, being online and being able to interact with people who have similar interests, would that be an additional thing that has helped you increase your social skills as well? Or were you struggling with it at first? And it's still even a struggle, even when you're not like directly seeing a person. Well, it was a struggle for quite a while. I mean, I have a lot of interest. I read, I write, I sing. I um, I have a lot of intense interests. Some intense, some more intense than I would like. But um, making friends was very, very difficult for a while. But knowing that I can still, I have friends who understand my struggles and want to accept me embrace me and respect me and understand me as a person even through my autism that's a blessing in itself because it's not too often an autistic person can make a lot of friends or, or even one friend in particular that would accept you and understand you and respect you 
even through everything you've been through, both living and dealing with autism, just that I, I was able to make friends in school who would accept me and embrace me and accept me and understand me as a person despite having autism. The fact that I was able to make friends in school, that is a complete blessing in itself. Yeah, that's really good, especially since, um, you know, we, we seem to find friends in unexpected or even expected places, and there is even times in which we don't even expect to even get any in the first place. Yeah, that's, so, that's absolutely right. I agree with that. Okay, so um, one thing I wanted to ask is, uh, I mean, obviously we're currently, I want to go into current events, if I may, and because obviously this is a very challenging time, not just for autistic people, but for people all over the world at the moment, obviously with COVID-19 and the coronavirus. Um, what's been your feelings towards that as someone with autism? And uh, does it feel more isolating now, the situation that you find yourself in, or do you feel like um, it's something that uh, you kind of are getting to grips with still uh, this whole pandemic that's currently going across the world um well for me to be completely honest it it, it is very uncomfortable because the thought of quarantine and not being able to spend time with my family members that are, that are far away or even my boyfriend that that in itself brings a lot of pressure on me i mean if, to be totally honest it's it completely gets to me at times. There are a lot of times when it really gets to me. But I try as hard as I can. I, as long as I text and talk to Barry every day, either either by texting or by duo, which is a phone call, which is a video call conversation I have on my phone, um, knowing that he still loves me and still is willing to wait until all the danger passes to see me and just to, to give me a promise ring that he wanted to give me, the fact that he still loves me despite our distance, despite the, the fact that we're far apart, it's, I feel completely, completely blessed in that regard. So, um, obviously, we've got the um, the primaries, are, I guess, are pretty much done at this point. Um, obviously, it seems that Joe Biden is going to be the uh, nominee for the Democratic Party in the upcoming presidential election. Um, as someone with autism, does it affect the way that you perceive politics? Or does it, I mean, what would you say, um, with your experiences, would you say that, uh, you know, does a politician, would you say, in America, understand what autistic people are going through, or would you, you know, in the last couple of years? Or would you say we've grown quite distant from that? in the, the way that uh, we spread autism awareness amongst uh, the political sphere? Well, to be honest, I'm not really into politics, but anyone who can be better than President Donald Trump is a lot, a lot better for me. Because, because President Trump does, doesn't seem to understand that people with autism have feelings and hearts too, and they deserve to have bright futures just like everyone else does. So how does it make you feel when a politician turns up and says uh, autistic people need to be either like fixed or cured or repaired in some way? How does that make you feel? That makes me feel, honestly, it makes me feel insulted because autism is part of who that person is. I mean, there, there is no cure for autism. Autism is not a sickness. I mean, it, 
autism is something that you're either born with or you're not. We always talk about our favorite cartoon shows, uh, our favorite uh, networks that the play, the. Uh, um, the, the companies that we grew up with, whether it's Disney or whether it's Nickelodeon or whether it's Cartoon Network, um, what bracket would you say you fit in in regards to your childhood? I mean, what would you say you mainly grew up with and uh, who would you say your loyalty is to in regards to uh, these conversations that we have? To be honest, the biggest network I've watched in my childhood was Nickelodeon because there are a lot of shows that I really grew up with, but... The biggest one that I grew up with when it came to Nickelodeon was Hey Arnold, and it still is today. I mean, there are times when I do get very obsessive about Hey Arnold. Uh, one thing I would actually like to ask you about is uh, when were you made aware of the Jungle movie? And uh, do, you, do you want to take I mean, us through that whole... Uh, I mean, where were you and during the... Uh, uh, the Save the Jungle movie campaign when, uh, I mean, did you actually hear about that campaign or would, I mean, tell us about how you found out about like, you know, the, uh, the fact that there was another movie out there that hadn't been made yet. Um, I actually took part in signing the petition for the movie and writing letters, to Nickelodeon, stuff like that. And, you know, when I heard that the movie was finally going to come, I was very excited. I did go a bit crazy in that regard. And what was your reaction to it when you finally saw it? Oh, I was... I was very happy. I mean, we have waited for this for about five years. I mean, 15 years. I mean, after 15 years of waiting, I mean, who wouldn't be happy to see Hey Arnold, the Jungle movie? I mean... After all what we've done to make the movie happen, I mean, the fact that it finally happened, um, that is a huge accomplishment for all the Hey Arnold fans out there, I'd say. That's awesome. Um, I feel like we're wrapping up uh, our interview at uh, this stage, so I guess I'll give you the, the last word. Um, so as we go from another Autism Awareness Month, um, obviously it is very difficult right now in this year, but what message do you have for other autistic people throughout this year going on to 2021? Uh, what would you be the big message you want to send out to everybody here on Aaron and Patricia? Everyone who has autism, please listen. Just because people say that you're different or you're not going to fit in, don't listen to them. Autism is part of who you are, and you should be proud of it. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you can't have a bright future. It's going to take some time and a lot of pressure to get to your future. And chances are you're going to have... A lot of people telling you you can't do this, you can't do that. But let me tell you, you can do anything you set your mind to. If you have the passion, the devotion, and the drive to do something you really want to do, go for it. Don't ever pay attention to those negative people. Because anyone who ever thinks negative and say things you can't do, they... Just turn your back on them. Never listen to anything they say. 
Well, that was Jessica. We do appreciate everybody who interacted with Autism Awareness Month, and we do appreciate uh, her being on the show. And so we are now going to continue with uh, Aaron and Patricia. And so, uh, Patricia, shall we start with the news? All right, let's do it. That isn't coronavirus. Uh, which is quite surprising. Sure. So apparently, sure. there's rumors going around that Kim Jong Un is the di- the big dictator of North Korea. Apparently, is dead. And so, I mean, like, and let's just keep this in mind. I mean, like, the likelihood is that the North Korean government's going to sue us. I think it's going to be very minimal. But uh, I mean, like, as far as I'm concerned, mate, this is just a big rumor at this point. We don't know exactly what has happened, but apparently, uh, from what I gather, Kim Jong-un went in for uh, some kind of heart surgery. Apparently, he had a stint put in, and uh, which really, you know, at this, uh, 36 years old is a very young age to all of a sudden start having, like, massive heart problems, in my opinion. And don't get me wrong, like, his family in the Kim dynasty has actually had uh, a, a series of heart issues. I mean, his uh, the original founder of the country uh, did die of a heart attack, so he has had. They have had like uh, issues with heart problems and things like that. You would think that they would probably learn from that and keep themselves in better shape, but no. Um, Kim Jong Un has basically been apparently overeating, drinking, smoking, and I don't even want to think what else he's been doing with his. Uh, with his physical body, but uh, apparently he's got to the point now where he ended up having to go into surgery at 36 years old for a stint in apparently some other heart uh, issues as well, and now uh, he has basically been missing from view since 11th of uh, April of 2020. So basically mm-hmm. he's been MIA for a good long time, which, you know, really doesn't surprise me all that much, because when you go in for, like, any type of heart condition or anything like that, likelihood is you're going to be gone for a while. You know, you're not going back to work for for a, for a right. good particular time, and so and also they're saying that so the rumors going around saying that uh, apparently he's brain dead or he's in some kind of vegetative state or he's in some kind of thing. You know that bit I don't particularly buy. I probably imagine he probably is alert and probably is what you know doing what he probably would be normally doing in like any other person in. Uh, in recovery of a major operation, but you've got to keep these factors in mind. He's overweight, he smokes, he drinks, he's not in healthy condition. Likelihood is, if he's going to be out recovering from this, and if they've decided to operate on him in his condition, I guarantee you, we're not going to see him for, a, you know, I would say it'd be very surprised if we see him for a good couple of months. You know, if he mm. decides to come back into public view, or the public is like, I don't know, maybe I'll just like, uh, say, you know, show him being carted around in a wheelchair, I have no idea. But, uh, I mean, like, uh, at this stage of the game, it's far, far, far too early to be talking about this guy dying, in my opinion. Yeah. A 36 years old dying of, uh, you know, some kind of, like, heart condition. You know, here's the thing is, as well, I do admit that him being in the condition that he is, I mean, I guess there is a likelihood that he is going to die young at this point, unless he changes his ways. I mean, like, I'll tell you what, if he comes out of this and he looks far thinner... You know, like, it's to the point where it's kind of like, oh, wow, he's lost, I don't know, like, you know, 40, 50, 60 pounds. Something like that. Something really stupidly significant. You know, like, uh, I wouldn't be too surprised if uh, they, if, if he turned up like that in a couple of months' time and uh, they find out that, oh, yeah, he's having to look after himself a lot longer now if he wants to live. But I don't know, like, uh, the fact that he came in at a very young age and now he's pretty much living like some kind of, like, uh, you know, really irresponsible, you know, uh, university student in a way. Like, uh, he's, um, the fact that he's uh, chain-smoking, apparently, that he's drinking to excess and that he's, uh, um, you know, doing all these other unhealthy things with his body. I don't know, he, he doesn't sound like a guy who seems to be in good mental state. 
at this point. I mean, uh, would I be diving a bit too far if I said to somebody that, you know, hey, you're, you seem to be quite, uh, you know, over the weight. You don't seem to be taking good, very good care of yourself. You're smoking to, you know, like a chimney. You're, you know, taking in uh, more, the, you're taking in more booze than a Jack Daniels for a, a distillery. You know, like, uh, am I fair to say that maybe this guy is probably not living mentally in, in the best of places right now? Maybe he's just overconfident. Uh, oh, if that's the case, I mean, I guess, I guess that stuff can go to your head, I guess. But uh, I mean, I just feel like, um, you know, I don't know. Like, it just seems as a guy who seems to want to be like in a as someone who's like a supreme being, you know, some, so you know, at a point where people in your country don't believe you can defecate. Like, you know, like I would thought that he would probably want to live that type of life as long as physically possible. You know, and that's because he's not going to have, I mean, he's got, he's got, uh, you know, millions of dollars, I probably imagine from, you know, embezzling it out of the country and not, you know, starving his people and yada, 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 and probably doing also the illegal stuff. And he pretty much lives like a crime lord, you know, at, at this point. And uh, so, I mean, that I, I would have thought like, oh, hey, you would probably want to spend a lot more time enjoying his riches and, you know, being out in his villa. Like you know, in the uh, in the corner of the country that he that apparently his trains currently parked park at the minute. I suspect that's probably what's happened. He's probably gone out to. Uh, he's probably had this surgery. He's probably not gone very well. Um, he's gone out to his retreat to like recover. You know, they sent all these giant Chinese. And by the way, you know that, that's another thing about the uh, the rich elite in North Korea. They do not rely on their own domestic um, um, facilities to basically get better. They will go out. In, and basically get hospital treatment elsewhere. You know, like uh, those uh, those Kim Jong that 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 generation of Kim at the minute they weren't even educated in their own country. Uh, Kim Jong Un and his sister was educated in Switzerland, I believe. And so and then so it won't surprise me in the slightest uh, if he ended up going to China or going somewhere else to go get uh, treatment. You know, and not rely on domestic services, which unfortunately all the other North Koreans have to do. I, mean, I remember that as well. Uh, when I had uh, JP the B-Man on the Aaron Messer show, a couple of, we actually covered a story where, you know, um, instead of like usual hospital remedies, they were relying on like methamphetamine to treat people. Like you know, like you know, the, the same you know the, the same stuff that's creating the opioid crisis out in uh, out in Detroit and out in other places where you know uh, opioid deaths are currently you know through the roof. You know, well, North Korea is using that method to basically treat their whole you know, millions of their civilians that basically end up uh, going through the hospital system in that country. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's, it's madness. So, uh, you know, all these social media rumors about what's going on at the minute. I highly doubt he's dead. You know, I just believe that he's probably had, um, you know, he's had this heart surgery. You know, he's probably not gone as well as they would like. So now he's probably have to basically have around the clock there and things like that. So he's probably having to, uh, you know, rely on the Chinese for that type of help. And uh, likelihood is his sister, who's basically rose from the ranks, I'm assuming, is probably going to um, pick things up while he's away. And then eventually in a couple of months, we'll see him again in all, you know, taking pictures of him pointing at things and, uh, you know, doing all sorts of crazy stuff and things like that, you know, on his, on his, uh, on his escapades in that, uh, really awful country. But, uh, you know, I think, uh, so yeah, you would think, well, right, yeah, exactly. So we'll just have to see what happens because right now the news about it is still pretty vague. So we don't know everything about the details yeah, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I don't think this is the last we've seen of him as of yet. I mean, like maybe in his, maybe we get to his fifties, and all of a sudden he has a, he goes into cardiac arrest. I mean, yeah, I think that's probably where he's going to be pushing it. But in, in his thirties, where he's still got some chance of life, 
You know, like, and don't get me wrong, like, it's not like we've not known people to die young of heart, heart attacks. It, it happens. But I highly doubt that this is where we see the last of Kim, Kim Jong-un at this point. I don't know anybody, as far as I'm aware, who's died young of, of heart failure or anything like that in his, in his, in his lineage. So, um, I mean, if uh, I think, uh, what was it? I think Kim Il-sung lived to like his 80s or something like that. And Kim Jong-il lived until a pretty old age as well. So, like, uh, mm-hmm. we don't know at this point as far as I'm concerned. But uh, saying that uh, prematurely announced that he's dead, I think is, uh, yeah, I think you're going far too beyond there. I think a little bit. I think uh, likelihood is he's probably resting somewhere. And then when he's finally fully rested, we're probably going to see a thinner, you know, uh, pipe, pipe cleaner version of him probably. I don't know. Maybe. We'll, we'll see. Moving on. Um, we had Dream Machine come back recently with Trolls World Tour. And uh, we uh, basically... I mean, here's the thing about this. Like, uh, do you see the number of dislikes on that video? When we when we yes. put it out? Yeah, just like... I mean, guys, I mean, is it because we didn't round on it like Shark Tale? Or is it because of the fact that basically we gave it too much praise because we actually like Cream Barb? I don't know where they were going with this, to be quite honest with you. It seems very, uh, very weird to me, but uh, the vast majority of people seem to like it. But, um, you know, in regards to... Uh, here's the thing about this. We don't think... We were actually debating as well whether tr- whether this should be a candidate for our other series, In Search of the Crystal Skull, which we've only got going at the minute, because there are some things we actually do like about Trolls World Tour, and there actually are some things that we dislike about it. So, like, uh, it was fitting that kind of category at the time. But uh, it seems, I don't know if it's because the, I don't know where the audience is swaying with this right now. I don't know if it's because maybe we're a bit too cruel with that, if it may be. I don't know if it's whether we're a bit too, uh, you know, too, bit too much praising of it. I mean, uh, I don't know, Patricia, uh, square this circle for me. But, you know, tell me what's going on. Um, I don't know. I think that there were some people who were disappointed that, you know, we were giving harsh criticisms to it. Because I was looking through the live stream, and there was this one person who was saying, oh, but I like the movie. I like this. I like that. So maybe we were a bit too harsh on it, according to some people. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, obviously we're going to be looking at box office numbers, and the last time we left it was at $50 million. So it's still not making its budget back as of yet. I mean, it's still got plenty of uh, ways to go. But, uh, I mean, you're going to admit, though, when we when we looked at the, at the price of this movie and they demanded $20... You know, it's like, and uh, as far as I'm aware, they're not paying. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe uh, YouTube and uh, uh, Amazon Prime. Maybe they're paying. Maybe they're demanding like a fee, like a quite an obs- obscene fee for basically hosting this movie. I don't know, but uh, I mean, like uh, the fact that it's twenty dollars in America and the fact that it's sixteen pounds here in the UK, it's a it's a bit of an unreasonable price. I would have thought for renting the movie for uh, for two days, only to find that uh, you know one of your kids wants to see it again, and then you have to pay in another twenty dollars to basically right. rent rent the thing again. I think that's a bit. I mean, that's a bit off, to be honest with you. I mean, like, if it was uh, if it was nine ninety nine, maybe I probably would see the reasoning of it. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, twenty dollars is a bit excessive. I mean, for what we got, you know, I feel like uh, it should have been, been half the price. I would have argued. I think for for, for Charles World Tour, but that's just me. Um, one other thing to think about Charles World Tour is uh, that uh, actually there is the one thing that I did like about it, and that was the Rock Trolls. I thought the Rock Trolls yeah. actually were quite fun. Uh, to be honest, the, the fact that we didn't get many rock legends into the rock trolls and we only got Ozzy Osbourne was a little bit disappointing. Rachel Bloom, 
although it was a lot of fun, and I also tweeted out saying that, hey, if they decided to do a spin-off movie, and decided to bring in all these rock legends, and they had Rachel Bloom back in as the lead for Queen Bob, maybe I'd give it a, I'd give it a shot. You know? Yeah, I mean, they, I, from what I understand, you know, there's that Trolls uh, Netflix series, so yeah, why don't you include them into the series from time to time? Well, you know, like, I I would be on, I don't know, like, I, probably, I don't know if I'd really want to go out of my way to watch them. I don't know if I want to go to watch the series. Like, I would be, I think I would still be in the, in the category of probably saying, hey, I'll probably watch a spin-off movie, but then I'll just leave it at that. But anyway, I think um, there's not really much else to kind of really say about uh, the review besides that, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was obviously just as mixed as probably the reviews that we saw with, uh, you know, when people actually reviewed the actual movie itself. So, like, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, moving on, uh, Prince Lewis uh, is, uh, was, uh, basically making the rounds on social media. Here's the thing about this, about the royal family, like, uh, they are gonna have to put out a lot, and I mean a lot of stuff to distract people from basically what has basically been probably the worst thing to happen to the royal family in quite a long time. Let's call it, let's call it is, uh, how, how it is, shall we, Patricia? You know, the, uh, the, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex have pretty much basically been acquired by the Disney Corporation. If you really mm-hmm. think about it, because now Meghan Markle now is doing voiceovers for Dis- for, for Disney, and uh, yeah. Bob Iger is now back at Disney, by the way, trying to st- steady the ship through the coronavirus. But uh, I mean, no doubt, you know, Prince Harry or some, or you know, the the the, the Duke of Sussex, uh, ha- you know, uh, uh, Harry, if you will, um, is uh, going to be uh, probably somewhat involved in some way. But uh, you know, like uh, I would, I would make the argument to you that uh, Patricia, that maybe Meghan Markle is going to make it far better in uh, in in the Disney as a Disney princess than a, in an actual princess in uh, you know the in the royal family in the UK. I mean, I know that her and Prince Harry had already left the family. Uh, they didn't want to deal with anything that was going on. So, I mean, with the fact that she is currently working for Disney and. I mean, like, if she is going to continue working for the company, I mean, we already talked about this in which if you don't do, like, really well with the Disney company or if you do something incredibly controversial, you will be out and about. Like, you will not get any work anywhere else. And we talked about that with, you know, various other Disney stars who, you know, were really popular with Disney at the time, but then they did one little mistake and then they were gone. So Megan has to be really careful. Yeah, I got it. one little fight, and my mom got scared. Are you moving your auntie, uncle, and Bella? I don't know why I brought that up, but but yeah, just it's yeah, just it's um, I'm I'm here's the thing about this: they're all family right now. I mean, can we really look at it with any kind of glitter? Besides, probably the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, who's probably doing like all these cute little things on. Uh, on uh, you know on like on Zoom or like on social media and uh, you know doing like Skype thing calls with like uh, you know other kids and things like that you know all of that's kind of cool, but I mean like you still got this whole Jeffrey Epstein thing hanging over Prince Andrew's head. I mean your at the end of the day your um um you know, your mo- your head monarch is in her nineties. You know who knows when she might go away, and then we end up with Prince Charles who can't keep his can't keep his nose out of politics. And uh, seems seemingly can't seems to skip the queue in regards to getting tested for coronavirus, and then uh, uh, obs, you know uh, absconding any responsibility by uh, defying orders of uh, you know staying at your main home and not going off to your second one, you know pretty much at this point. Like you know it's like it's uh, it's one rule for one person, one rule for another, and the royal family unfortunately have not looked very good out of all of this. You know they've uh, I mean and I guess the only way they can probably get out of this now is by saying oh hey look how cute our little smaller royals are. 
at this point. Meanwhile, like, you know, it's, uh, I mean, how much would you brag, Patricia, if you managed to get, like, a couple of uh, people out of the royal family working for you? You know, if you really think about uh, it, it's a, it's, a, it's a big acquisition mm -hmm. when you think about it. So, I mean, like, uh, I'm interested to see how they um, how, how, how they do this now. Like, uh, I mean, is Meghan Markle now going to be lined up for a, a Disney princess movie? I mean, is she going to be making some kind of, like, appearance? Because I guarantee you, something like that, you know, I'd be bragging about it. You know, and don't get me wrong, like, I, I get that her, her strongest suite isn't, uh, you know, obviously being in, you know, in kids programming. Obviously, she only made that, like, one appearance in Nickelodeon, and that she basically had a, a cup of coffee and then left, you know, I, I get that. But, I mean, like, uh, her status has mainly changed from, she's obviously had more of a, an acting career, you know, long before she met uh, Harry, and now she's now obviously had these... Uh, things going on. She's, got, she's probably distracted by the lawsuit that currently she's got currently going on with uh, various members of the media. Well, obviously, we're not going to comment too much on that because uh, I don't comment on, on court cases. But uh, in regards to um, who's going to be better off uh, in this situation, I guarantee you, I think uh, probably the Duke and Duchess of Sussex are probably going to be better off in Los Angeles than they are going to be in the UK underneath the guise mm -hmm. of the royal family. I think they looked at that situation and thought, hey, you know, we're not going to go anywhere here. You know, let's go out to, uh, here's all these ventures. You know, Bob Iger wants us to be in the Disney fold. You know, like, uh, let's, let's go, let's go there and make our fortunes there. You know, you can't blame them for what they did. You know, you know, like, uh, they went off to find greener pastures and they found it. You know, mm -hmm. like, uh, they're pretty much there with, um, with the, with the, with the biggest honcho who's basically maybe one day might have to be, end up owning the royal family. You never know. Like, you know, like, uh, Disney seems to like, it seems to absorb pretty much everything at this point like uh, would you would you would you be surprised if they decided hey we're going to buy british royalty and they're marketed under our like, disney princess brand <laughs> like, oh boy <laughs> oh man that's uh, yeah um that's all i got to say about that really so like yeah i mean like at least i can say that queen elizabeth ii has been giving you know her usual fantastic speeches of hope and you know um, just dedication to um, making sure that people stay safe and all that kind of stuff, as opposed to our president here who says, hey, inject yourselves with bleach and with um, <laughs> cleaning products. That way you can be able to cure yourself from the virus. I was really hoping we weren't going to go there, but uh, we were like wade into it, so we might as well weigh into it. So um, I'm just amazed that... Um, when he said that, like, Dettol and Lipsol and various other cleaning providers basically had to come out with, I mean, I think it was, what was it, Mr. Clean, Sillit Bang? I think everyone had to come out with, like, statements saying, please do not, please ignore this moron and please do not inject yourselves with bleach. Like, yeah, exactly. Just, so, I, yeah, Lysol, Mr. Clean, and uh, pretty much every single product that was done by um, Procter & Gamble were basically saying, um, yeah, please don't inject yourself with all these cleaning products. It can kill you. So, yeah, I mean, I think that I even read somewhere like you, that, you know, all these places like um, Procter & Gamble and Johnson & Johnson received like a 38% increase in phone calls from people who are questioning about like if, you know, they should do that. Why are we talking about this? Like, why Why is the pres the so-called president of the United States even suggesting that, you know, oh, let's beam sunlight into someone's lungs or uh, let's... Uh... <laughs> it's just so stupid. 
Like, like I can't believe this is real. This is real. And and then and then he goes up a few hours later saying I was being sarcastic. Oh yeah, sure you were. Yeah, sure you were being sarcastic. Oh what he is so full of shit. I'm really sorry. Like this this orange faced twat is really full of shit. I mean, like, uh, it doesn't, I mean, does he, oh, no, I just, like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, I, I can't believe this guy is running the most powerful country in the world. Well, I guarantee you, if, uh, th if the way that he's, you know, all these, you know, with the cases nearly going to a million and, uh, 40,000 people now, you know, being, uh, you know, being, being sent off to, uh, the great beyond, I mean, like, uh, are you gonna tell me that America's gonna come out of this really clean? I guarantee you it's not. You know, like, you got China opening back up for business. I mean, obviously, it's not the opening they were hoping for, because they still, you know, got, uh, you know, pockets of uh, of cases still uh, popping up in the east parts of the country and things like that. But and obviously, they're getting a massive rounding from the international community of the way they handled their own crisis and the way that they came about this. Like, I think probably the Soviet Union handled Chernobyl probably better than uh, China handled the, cor the coronavirus crisis. By the way, that's, uh, you know, good old Chernobyl. <laughs> now it could potentially be on fire on top of everything else. <laughs> you know? Like, uh, did you hear about that? Yeah. I don't, I yeah, exactly, that. yeah. It's like, the, the world's ending, isn't it? You know, like, it's just, it's a, you, got, you got the president, you know, uh, pretty much pulling Jim Jones, you know, from that People's Temple cult, doing that whole deal now with his presidency. And now you got, like, you know, a potential nuclear inferno you know, in um, in in the Ukraine, and uh, you know, obviously the the uh, the, the poorer areas of uh, of America and uh, sorry of Africa, I do apologize, and South America too, and also the places in South Asia are going to absolutely have an absolute torrid time dealing with this with this crisis. Yeah, here's the thing about this: yes, things are terrible, but the pro with us, there is a way out of it. You know, if we're sensible enough to just tell people to just stay at home for two weeks and we just basically just test everybody and just see where we are with that. And then we can start looking at getting parts of our economy here in the in the UK and here in the US back to some kind of normality. You know? Yeah, well, exactly. And, and look at all the other places that are doing that. Australia, New Zealand, parts of Asia, parts of Europe. Uh, they are getting less and less cases because they are following that procedure. They have been testing everybody. They have been, you know, severe in their lockdowns and, and severe in their curfews. And because of that, uh, there's a point in which, hey, they could be able to reopen again with little to no consequences of people catching the virus. But no, around here, we have people protesting, saying, you know, please unlock our states. We're dying for a haircut. We're dying to see our friends and family. We're dying to go places and all that kind of stuff. You know, we're, we're getting bored. Our children are miserable and stuff like that. Oh, woe is me. You know, like, uh, spare a thought for everyone who has severe chronic conditions who can barely go out in normal times, let alone, you know, going out in, uh, in times of a, of a pandemic. But uh, here's another thing about this as well. Like, yeah, but there's, there's people who have, like, been calling into, like, a progressive radio station saying, like, oh, hey, all these Trump supporters are all going to start dying of coronavirus. We're going to be issuing for the election, which is kind of like, fuck you, left. Like, you know, like, uh, that, the, the big problem with these protests is it's not because they're going to get the coronavirus and potentially get ill. The problem is, is that potentially they could go out into the world and give it to somebody else who isn't a Trump supporter. So anyone out there who's thinking, oh, hey, Biden 2020 is going to get going to be a shoe in for November, you know, just because, you know, uh, all the Trump supporters are going to die of coronavirus. Fuck you. 
That's not the way you should be thinking about this at all. The reason you should be saying Biden 2020 is because, hey, he's coming around to potentially, you know, uh, you know, maybe some of Bernie Sanders' uh, ideas. Maybe he's finally going to turn around and say, you know, um, that what Donald Trump is doing is wrong. And maybe what some of the Democrats have probably done in the past in the Obama era has probably not been all that great. He's going to change tack and he's going to do that. And then that's the way that you're going to beat Trump in the next election. I don't think that's going to happen. I still think even with all this craziness going on, Trump's probably going to still going to win. But, you know, that's the... If that's, if that's the mentality, I'm not saying all of them, but I'm just saying some people, if that's your mentality going into a no- November 2020, you deserve to lose that election. Um, let's move on to uh, something a lot better, I think, and something that's going to warm our hearts, I think, as 90s kids. Uh, Disney Plus is going to be launching the Howard Ashman story. He is the guy yes. who wrote some of the greatest themes for Disney films during the Disney Renaissance era, I could not imagine a better place to be in mm-hmm. uh, in in uh, in movie history than to be the one of the composers of some of the greatest Disney movies. That's what I think. Exactly. So, you know, yeah. like uh, you know, I'm going to show you the world. You know, like uh, Beauty and the Beast. You know, like uh, you know, be a part of my world. You know, like uh, some some of these you know some of these iconic themes that are basically played non-stop on Spotify and are still sang like uh, we're by, you know, ladies at hen nights, you know, when they've had too many martinis. You know, like, uh, <laughs> it's like, it's, uh, these are like, these are the themes of our childhood, you know? Like, uh, we, we know them nearly off by heart. And so, as far as I'm concerned, you know, this is going to be a story that I'm really looking forward to hearing, you know, like... Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, for those who are um, confused about uh, our praises for Howard Ashman, you're like, who is he? Well, Howard Ashman was a music composer from the 1970s all the way up into the early 90s. So he had composed music alongside with his collaborator and friend, Alan Menken. And they have done many songs, such as, um, you know, as mentioning with um, Aaron for the Disney Renaissance, such as Under the Sea, Kiss the Girl, uh, Part of Your World, and um, and then there's Beauty and the Beast. And there were a handful of songs for Aladdin. And he even did the music for Little Shop of Horrors, the, the 80s musical. But unfortunately, he had passed away very young at the age of 40 because he had suffered from HIV. And uh, he only um, wrote the songs for only those handful of movies. And um, I think that with um, the, the fact that they're finally doing a documentary about him, I mean, let's be honest, it's, it's long overdue. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, you, you got to go through this guy's entire, you know, filmography, like uh, some of the things that he's basically put himself into, like, uh, you know, obviously a little hot shop of horrors, you know, Oliver and Company as well, which is uh, kind of a cult classic, really, but, uh, you know, it was... Uh, he was the lyricist of uh, Once Upon a Time in New York City, which is a really, really good theme. And also, uh, oh, by the way, uh, actually, the one thing I wanted to bring up, actually, on this, but we never got a chance to do it, but I guess because it ties into this now, we can actually say about this. Did you know this year is actually the, uh, uh, the um, or what is it, the 30th anniversary, I believe, of Cartoon North Stars to the Rescue? Yes. Yeah, and uh, he, he was the lyricist. So would you believe Howard Ashman is also the lyricist for uh, Wonderful Ways to Say No? Yep. Those drugs are so boring. <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> but, no, but, you know... Anyway, but, yeah. yeah. But, you know, obviously, he did the uh, lyrics to The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. Oh, I love Aladdin. 
Like, you know, it was... Uh... Well, he only did a handful of songs for Aladdin uh, because, um, you know, uh, Howard Ashman passed away before Beauty and the Beast even was released in theaters. Mm -hmm. But he was able to see the rough production of Beauty and the Beast where he was very satisfied with um, the product. But he only wrote a handful of songs. And then, um, how, uh, you know, then, um, and then finally, uh, Alan Menken brought in Tim Rice to finish off some of the songs that um, Howard Ashman couldn't do because he had already passed on. Mm. So he actually did write um, some songs for Aladdin, such as uh, Friend Like Me and Arabian I Nights. think he also, yeah, Arabian yeah, so he Nights. Did, he did uh, Friend Like Me, Arabian Nights, and Prince Ali. So uh... Yeah. He did not do A Whole New World, which Tim Rice did A Whole New World. And then eventually okay. Tim Rice would pair up with um, uh, Elton John and they did The Lion King a few years later. Mm -hmm. but, you know, and like, you can tell, you know, why that uh, Tim Rice was pretty essential for that. Yeah, but it's like, you know, it was, um, he started off, um, I mean, like he, he was one of the foundations of the Renaissance era. And like anybody who has his name, has a, has a name to his credit on those movies, quite frankly, is, uh, is larger than life. As far as I'm concerned, because yeah, like, pretty much, yeah, yeah, like, uh, you know, I guarantee you, I could probably stand uh, in front of everybody who listens to this show, like all the thousands of people listening around the world. By the way, and by the way, thank you all for listening uh, to the show. Uh, I can stand in front of them and say, but ask them, okay, put your hand up if you have one of the following movies: Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, or Little Mermaid. I guarantee you, every single hand would go up. Every single one of them. And uh, even the people who say, oh, yeah, I got on Disney Plus subscription. So, obviously, I technically kind of, uh, you know, have that movie available to me. You know, it's just, it's, uh, you yeah, know, and also, you know, Howard Ash Ashman, I think uh, we're really looking forward to seeing what he's, uh, what, you know, all the um, the backstage shenanigans that happened and uh, everything that, uh, you know, he got involved in and uh, all the, uh, the beauty that he brought to the, you know, this wonderful era in Disney. You know, yeah, and uh, you, we also have to remember that in addition to um, all the stuff that he did for Disney, he also did a lot of stuff for Broadway, like Smile is a movie, I mean, a musical that he worked on, and that starred Jody Benson. So he worked with, you know, Jody Benson and Paige O'Hara with, um, you know, the musicals that he wrote. And I think that you know, if Howard Ashman wasn't involved with writing those musicals and if, the, uh, you know, we probably wouldn't have Jody Benson or Paige O'Hara perform as Ariel and Belle, respectively. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, um, he's also, he's uh, been involved and also kicked off so quite a number of people's careers as well. So, like, uh, you know, he's, yeah, uh, he's, pretty much. He, he's been that foundation for a lot of good, good talented people. And uh, so, like, uh, and also you can say he gave Tim Rice a helping hand. With uh, well, yeah, he did right. yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, so like, uh, I'm very, I'm very happy to know that uh, Disney Plus is going to be paying this tribute to him because I think the last time they actually did something uh, meaningful for him, I think it was back in 2001 when they gave him the Disney Legend Award. So like, yeah, yeah, and the last time that they did a documentary based off of people who worked in the Disney industry was like 2009's Waking Sleeping Beauty, but that focused on a lot of other people. Like individual person or individual people was Frank and Ollie, and that was 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, we uh, urge you all to check out the documentary on Disney Plus on July, So, uh, and we all look forward to watching it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. 
Moving on, um, me and Patricia have been uh, basically doing the series of Father Ted. Uh, we're in the third series, and so uh, we're looking forward to uh, finishing it off. But uh, uh, we actually, it might be a very special um, 25th anniversary that we recently came off this week. So uh, 25 years now of Father Ted since it launched on Channel 4 on uh, on that day of uh, 1990, 1995. So yeah. Bit, yeah, so that means that we definitely need to meet up sometime and do a podcast on it. Exactly. And, so, you know, like, uh, yeah, this is the thing, like, uh, it, the, I think the, the great thing about it is that it's just, you know, it's a great combination of uh, of guys who came together and uh, did what, you know, was really needed, I think, at the time. Like, uh, you know, Ireland, in a way, was kind of going through, like, this, uh, cri- you know, I think this kind of crisis with itself of, like, being a Catholic country, but uh, realizing that how detached, I think, it has become from, from society. And I think uh, also uh, British viewers are also coming to uh, that, that conclusion as well, I think, from the, uh, from the church. And here comes Father Ted. And it just shows how, you know, detached it actually is and how it's portrayed and things like that. And uh, it became, and the fact that it was able to get so much of a laugh out of people and the fact that, uh, you know, Dermot Morgan was able to bring Father Ted so well to life and uh, Ariel O'Hanlon as well, also just being, you know, just being a doofus as, uh, as Father Dougal. And also you have, uh, you know, Father Jack as well, just being like this, this manic drunk. Like, uh, you know, this was a, 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 this was probably the, the best thing I think they had since bottom, you know, like at least in Britain anyway. You know, and obviously we we also watch Faulty Towers as well, and like you know that was a classic, classic uh, comedy series. And so you know, Father Ted is up there, and if not in British uh, comedy, it should be like at least within European or at least even in, in the world. Like you know, I really wish like a lot of countries around the world actually saw. You know, I don't know how many countries actually Father Ted actually aired in. I'd be interested to hear uh, if uh, there's somewhere uh, like you know, I don't know, like in the Philippines or something like that actually decided that uh, you know Father Ted was going to be going to be viewed there because they actually mentioned the Philippines in one episode. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, like uh, it's uh, it's such a great show, and I urge anybody listening to this uh, to this podcast to check it out because it's uh, it's so uh, it's so revolutionary in what it did. You know, like uh, it was making fun of everything at the time. So like, uh, yeah, and also. Um, you were telling me, Aaron, when you first introduced me to the show after we were done marathoning through Fa- Faulty Towers, you were like, oh, um, okay, that sounds really interesting. Uh, why uh, why are you interested in um, showing me this one next? And he's like, well, it's a um, well-known British and Irish comedy show. And also pretty much everybody that I know has already seen it like multiple times. And, and, I, and then I was like, oh, okay, well, that's completely fair, especially since, you know, again, very similar to a lot of shows that came out from the UK, I never seen it. So we've been watching it and we've been having a great time, like watching the crazy dynamics of all the characters and all the situations that they get into. I loved your reactions. Unfortunately, some some of the some of the jokes are very dated, very, very, very dated. Unfortunately, like uh, there was well, those faulty towers. To be fair, yeah, it is like, uh, but uh, I mean, so, yeah, it is. It is got that problem of being uh, caught in a time capsule. But uh, at the same time, like if you grew up in that era, like you know, some of the jokes will just basically just come to you. You know, like, uh, like there's that one with like the Ferrero, you know, the Ferrero Rocher one. Like, uh, do you even know what Ferrero Rocher is? Actually, thinking about it, um, do you know the uh, little like candies 
No, like I've like hazelnut cinnamon and stuff like that. I don't know if you have. I think I've seen a few of them, but I've never eaten them. You but I'm, I'm, I think I am familiar with them. If I have a chance to send you some, then I probably will do. But uh, I mean, yeah. like, um, but Ferrero Rocher. I mean, like they did that whole joke of like the commercial of like uh, I have to see if there's like a, a YouTube video of it and send it to you. But uh, yeah, they did that whole thing. And then there's the one with the generation game where you had like all the cards, like all the colorful cards, and like it would be like, uh, oh, you have to pick one, and like it would give you like a particular question or something like that. Like they did that whole thing as well. And, uh, but, uh, I think probably the most hilarious thing was that, so Father Jack changing of the seasons, and, like, you see him there with, like, a bunch of puppies, and, like, being, like, you know, giving, like, candy to girls and things like that, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, he's, uh, back to drinking stupidly, and then, uh, you know, what? <laughs> oh, my God. It's just, it's, uh, you have to, go, you guys have to watch it, just to, just to believe it. Yeah. You know? And, and, of course, there was a lot of, like, British references, like, you know, they had one episode where they featured a guest on the show who was in this popular British show, and Father Ted was asking him to do the catchphrase, which I was like, what is he talking about? What? Uh, and then you were explaining to me, oh, he, you know, he was in this popular, he was a, a popular comedian around the 80s and 90s, and he used to do, like, this catchphrase, and I that's what- I don't believe were... it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, so he did one foot in the grave and keeping up appearances, so uh, that was- uh... No, those those are some some fun. Uh, I don't know. Like, uh, I think one foot in the grave. I think was funnier than keeping up appearances. I didn't particularly like. Uh, I don't know. I, I, like, I didn't like it. I mean, like I, you, you know, you got those TV shows. You just kind of like tolerate. Like it's on the TV, so you'll just watch it. You know, like sure. about, you know, a couple of years later, you think, oh wow, like you know, did I did I really watch that? Like uh, I, I feel like keeping up appearances is kind of like one of those shows. A little bit, mm-hmm. and so like I don't know. Maybe I'll probably rewatch it one day and think, oh hey, maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. But uh, as oh, far as I'm well, concerned, yeah, it's like uh, I don't know. Like uh, there's a lot of TV shows now. I actually kind of like want to go back and watch and like uh, were they really as funny as they were? Are they really as funny now as they were back then? Like you know, I'd, I'd really mm-hmm. have to kind of like you know check that out a little bit. But uh, yeah, so happy- yeah, and I, I think that um, you know the the episodes that. Um, I think that in addition to the comedian, I think that some people who would be like really confused as to like, what are they talking about? Not as much now, because I think that we're more familiar with it, but I'm sure back then, if they did see it back in 95, was they, when they um, appeared into the, the, the Euro competition. Oh yeah, that was hilarious. Like I just, it was, uh, you know, so like, like, what was it? Uh, No points, (laughs) no points, no points. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, I was gonna say like I don't know how you popular. I don't think anyone. I'm not sure if anyone pays attention to Eurovision in America. I don't think about Eurovision. I, I, it, has a, it has a niche audience. Yeah, Eurovision basically is. Uh, uh, so the European Broadcasting Union basically all unite the TV stations together and basically do this kind of like uh, this this competition where they get all a bunch of artists and sing. And uh, to be honest with you, I don't know why Britain even bothers. We never win it. Never win it. We have never mm-hmm. ever. I, I can't. Well, actually, I was gonna say, when was the last time? I'm actually gonna Google this now. The, this is one of these things you have to Google to figure out basically when. So, uh, where, when did Britain uh, last win Eurovision? Okay, I'm googling it now. Um, we won it. Oh, hang on a second. So, uh, okay, let's try something. 1997 with Ka- Katrina and the and the waves. With their song "Love Shine in a Light" and uh, received a whopping two hundred and twenty-seven points. So in nineteen ninety, okay. So the, the 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 last time we won it, Tony Blair was prime minister. So uh, that was yeah. basically the last time we won it. So uh, okay, so we haven't won it in like uh, twenty-three years, something like that. Like you know, it's just, wow. it's, uh, yeah, it's embarrassing, man. Like uh, it's just uh, there's actually there's actually people who are actually now born and illegally allowed to drink in America uh, that have never seen Britain win Eurovision. 
basically. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like uh, an episode of. Um, uh, it, it's. It, I, I think I remember in that one episode uh, of the show where. You know, they were talking about, like, you know, winning competitions, and it, it involves with, like, these old Catholic guys playing soccer, and they were trying to, like, rig it so that, um, you know, they had Father Jack in a wheelchair. In a, in a, uh, what stupid situation, would, ludicrous situation where we need a, uh, a remote control wheelchair and fake arms. You know, like, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Sorry. So, I mean, like, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Father Ted is always trying to figure out some way to win something because he just has that kind of ego. Yeah. So, I mean, like, uh, I mean, if it's, if it's airing somewhere on a local U.S. television station, then, yeah, definitely go watch it or something like that. But, uh, I mean, like, if, if you can't get hold of the DVD, like, uh, last time I checked, Barnes & Noble had them in, had them in stock. So, like, uh, you know, like, uh, there is a place to get them. Surprisingly enough, yeah, it was funny because I was looking to get uh, Patricia a gift, and uh, I ended up getting uh, the uh, the uh, Believe It or Not book uh, for uh, I think it was it was the Believe It or Not anniversary book, I believe it was, and yep, uh, yeah, and, right. uh, but also next to it also well, was like the Father Ted like a collector's edition, and I was kind of like oh like you know I was tempted to like say could you order it in and get Patricia can pick it up, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I know better thankfully, so uh, mm -hmm. cool. Um, okay, moving on. We gotta go, we gotta fire through these quickly, but, uh, did you see that joke, uh, that Nikolaev, uh, blog, uh, put up for, um, to kind of, like, uh, kind of scare people a little bit? Um, so... Oh, yeah, the Jojo Siwa as, as Debbie Thornberry. In a while, in a live-action Wild Thornberry's movie, but, you know, like, I, I know it's a joke, we all know it's a joke, but... Seeing how low Nickelodeon has, uh, has stooped down, couldn't you see them doing it? Like uh, but putting Jojo Sawa into as Debbie Formbury in the in a live action Well Formberry's movie, if they I did mean, it. I don't. I mean, like, hey, you know, Jojo Siwa is very popular with the kids, so it's like, sure, why not? But what do you think a live action Wells Formberry's movie? If they did for Well Formberry's, who do you think they're aiming at? Like, you know, like it would be on Netflix, wouldn't it? Like, you know, like if they yeah, exactly. If, if if they used this as a vehicle to make Jojo Siwa as a movie actress, I guarantee you it will fall flat on its freaking face, and a lot of Nickelodeon fans will just be angry all over again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, like at least for the people who have currently worked on the 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 remakes or the continuations on Netflix so far, such as with the Legends of the Hidden Temple movie, the Jungle movie, um, Static Cling, Enter the Florpist, and they've done a really good job of, you know, not only uh, updating some of the things that were kind of dated, but also. Uh, bringing in some new elements and reiterating on why people love them in the first place. I mean, so much so that the 2019 miniseries of Are You Afraid of the Dark, based off of the 90s, um, you know, anthology series, is now going to be getting some new episodes because of that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm really glad this whole thing is a, is a joke, but unfortunately, it just kind of feels like this is where Nickelodeon... It feels like something Nickelodeon would do, and I really hope that they get away from this as quick as... Uh, I'm actually kind of glad that these types of things are being kind of, like, brewed up as jokes, because I'm hoping that hopefully Nickelodeon is looking at that and thinking, yeah, we shouldn't do that. Like, everyone, everyone thinks it... Everyone's treating it like it will be, like, a, a funny thing to do. You know, like, and no one would take it seriously. I hope someone at Nickelodeon, uh, you know, uh, social media is looking at and thinking, yeah, let's beam this back up to the uh, boardroom and say, yeah, don't do this at all, ever, you know. 
So, like, uh, I mean, here's the thing about this as well. I, I, I have a strong belief as well that uh, if you're going to do something with JoJo Siwa, it, it has to be within its era, you know? Like, uh, I don't just throw them into, you know, 90s style movies just because, you know, like, you're trying to get as many eyeballs on the screen as possible because, you know, like, uh, but, but in JoJo Siwa in something that, you know, was in the Nicktoon era in the 90s, it's like mixing water with oil. It's not. It's just, it's just not going to mix. You know, mm. it's just, it's uh, like, uh, just keep her in her era and like, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you're never going to please us with anything that Jojo Siwa does in like, uh, you know, in the two, in the, two, in the in the 2010s or even the 2020s, you know, like uh, that, that, that ship's just sail for us, you know, like uh, we're completely nostalgic for the 90s and even for the noughties, if you will. And even, you know, whatever Nickelodeon did in the 80s too, when they were basically a fledgling company. But, um, you know, in regards to, like, you know, doing mix and match, just don't do it. You know, like, you know, like, uh, look, uh, look, look at, uh, you know, Oreos ending up in Disney. Sorry, no, Oreos ending up in Cadbury's Dairy Milk and things like that. You know, some things just don't go together, guys. Please. Yeah. Now, I'm actually curious. I mean, like, would the Wild Thornberry's movie, would people even want it? Um, I wouldn't, you know, here's the thing about this. I would say, you know, um, if they did even, a, a, like, an As Told by Ginger movie, like, obviously I don't know what they would do with it, but, uh, I mean, like, uh, if they did something where it was kind of like, oh, hey, we want to do something which uh, is going to bring uh, our, up our game with the, you know, 20 to 30 year old demographic, the people who used to be fans of Nickelodeon back in yesteryear, and we want to give them a treat because we think we're going to make a lot of money out of it, and uh, it's uh, going to be on Netflix, and everyone has Netflix, then, you know, like, I would say go for it. Like, you know, if uh, yeah, yeah, sure. But a live action one, no. Uh, an animated one, if they brought back the original cast, if they brought back all the people who, you know, performed in the Wathornbury, such as Lacey Chabert and Danielle Harris and Tom Kane, I don't know about Flea or Tim Curry, but that would be really interesting to see if maybe we can actually see the Thornberries one more time. And um, it, it, it's actually funny because, you know, back when the Wild Thornberries was airing, uh, nature shows were hugely popular. I mean, everybody was tuning in to watching, you know, Crocodile Hunter because, uh, you know, it was like the biggest show that people were tuning into. I mean, like, we already know about how incredible that, um, you know, he was when it came to interacting with the animals. And unfortunately, nowadays, uh, I mean, uh, you know, going into that sad joke on Robot Chicken that nobody's into watching nature shows anymore and everybody's into like weird stuff on Discovery Channel. But the saddest thing is, is that the most popular thing on Netflix right now when it comes to animals is Tiger King. Yeah. Unfortunately, like, and it's just, it's been the, uh, I mean, I don't want to say it's the death of intelligence, but, uh, like, uh, unfortunately, all these uh, crazy, stupid shows, unfortunately, are going to encourage this type of demographic to go watch them. And, uh, you know, a lot of these channels now, whether it be Discovery Channel or whether it be, um, you know, um, all these other, like, nature documentaries, like, you know, unfortunately, like, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the era of David Attenborough is uh, kind of, like, coming to a, coming to an end. If anything like that, like uh, you know, like you have to rely on like on the BBC or like uh, you know, you know, of what you know, the, uh, companies that are not in there for profit, they're there for basically educational and entertainment purposes. Like if that's their sole goal, then you're going to get stuff like that. But if it's not, if it's purely basically just to uh, make a quick buck, then you're going to unfortunately you're going to get uh, a complete downgrade in quality. And that's what they're going to mm. do with TV because unfortunately they 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 pander to the lowest demographic. Unfortunately, the lowest common denominator. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, so uh, yeah. 
Anyway, um, let's uh, go back into our last uh, thing, which is, uh, yeah, finally, we should say. Um, so, Space Jam was recently aired, I think, on... I believe, actually, has it come to Netflix now? Or has it... Uh, yeah, it, it was... yeah, yeah, it, yeah it, has, it has come to Netflix. It has I mean, come we discussed to Netflix. About that. Yeah, remember we discussed about that uh, a while ago, about the guy who watched Space Jam six times a day on Netflix because it was his comfort food or something? Like, it made him feel, like comfortable i mean he even sleeps with space jam at night oh wow but uh, anyway ignoring him just for a second because i don't particularly i mean you do you but so i'm trying to i'm trying to ignore him but um basically uh, since space jam started trending on uh, twitter people realize that the actual original space jam website is still up uh, yep, Warner, Bro- still is. Warner Brothers have. Uh, I don't know if they. I don't know if they're keeping you up intentionally now. I mean, I don't know if they're like saying, "Oh yeah, we." Uh, it's kind of like. Uh, do you remember like the Wally Bear and the No Gang? And uh, do you remember when the Angry Video Game Nerds reviewed the games and then they realized that the actual uh, um, drug hotline is still up and uh, people yep. started calling it again and then people realized, oh hey, it's uh, you know where people are calling this again. And then they took it down. So like uh, it's uh, it's kind of like um, finding this relic of the '90s, and uh, but instead of Warner Brothers starting to oh, say, "Oh, hey, we're going to take it down," I think they actually updated it, if you will. So now, like uh, you know, the links that go to the store now take you to the WB store. I think a few other things on that website now start working as well. So instead of like you know binning it off, they did, you know Warner Brothers have decided to kind of keep it as a, as like some kind of like I don't know, they must like to, you know encased it in glass or something like that, and just keeping it as like a museum piece. I mean, pretty much. The reason why is because, as mentioned in that um, early discussion about a few about a while ago, that Space Jam has become one of the most viewed things on Netflix. So I think that Warner Brothers had, you know, seen that there was a lot of people going into the Space Jam website ever since they found out, hey, it's still up despite it not being 1996 anymore. And they were like, okay, well, I know that people are into nostalgia, so let's see if we can briefly update it and, you know, have people go into the WB store, go over to um, the character descriptions and all that kind of stuff. And 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 also, we lest we forget that, you know, we are still getting Space Jam 2 with LeBron James as our main character. So yeah. there's that. I'd be, I'd be very interested to see what happens with that, to be honest with you. I mean, like, I mean, like, is it going to be... I mean, is it really going to be Space Jam 2? Because, like, a lot of... I mean, I do get that the Space Jam movie now is out there, and I'm sure there's a lot of kids out there now who know this thing exists, but probably are going to be asking all their parents, like, who's Michael Jordan? <laughs> so, like, uh, I, think that, I think that's going to be a very awkward... Uh, well, not an awkward, but kind of like... A, well, uh, not necessarily, because if you remember... Um, I don't know if um, you know this, Aaron, but ESPN is actually doing a five-part mini-documentary series on michael jordan okay so uh oh cool i guess they i guess that's the reason why it reappeared because it probably ties in with that but uh i mean like uh, in regards to um doing a space jam sequel i don't know like uh, i don't think it's even going to be a sequel i think it ended up being a reboot I would have thought. I mean, they're, they're, I, don't, I don't know. They're calling it Space Jam 2. I don't know if it's going to connect with the original movie. The only thing that we know of is that it's LeBron James and they're bringing the Looney Tunes characters back. So well, that's what, all we know. Well, what are they going to do? Well, space aliens are going to invade uh, the Looney Tunes land again? And uh, like, I, uh, they're just going to do this whole thing again. Like, you know, like uh, if, if that's going to be the case, like, uh, I mean, how can they, how can they make this better? 
You know, like, is, is, is it going to look a bit more prettier, and is it going to be in 3D, and is it going to be like, uh, I don't know, is it going to just uh, look more appealing to the eye? Like, you know, here's the thing like this. I mean, like, uh, we all we all t- talked about how bad the, uh, the the Lion King remake was. I mean, like, uh, I mean, what if they just kind of, like, just rehash this again, just with more prettier graphics? You know, like... Yeah, uh, and unfortunately, it's going to probably make a ton of money because of it. I mean, as of right now, with all the other movies based off of basketball, Space Jam is still, to this very day, the highest-grossing basketball movie of all time. Yeah, but I mean, how, how much money did it actually make? It made a, quite a bit of money because I remember when I was a kid, uh, when the movie came out, and I was at my local theater, that even before anybody was going to see the movie, I don't know if this was like officially endorsed by Warner Brothers or if it was bootlegged, but before anybody got to see the movie, there was some guy outside with a vendor selling off Michael Jordan's secret stuff and bootlegged looking copies of the uh, Toon Stars jersey and Michael Jordan Nike shoes. So, and and and, and let's we forget about the, the plush toys of like Bugs Bunny and Lola Bunny, Elmer Fudd, Daffy Duck in their Toon Squad shirts. I think I even had a Bugs Bunny one that I um, that my my parents got me when I eventually went to go see the movie. So. Um, I do know that it probably made a lot of money with toys and merchandise and all that kind of stuff. I, I have it pulled up right here. Uh, the budget was $80 million, and the box office was $230.4 million. $1 yeah, I just saw that as well. And Oh, good grief. Looney Tunes back in action only did $68 million. Whoa. Ouch. Ouch. So uh, they, they didn't bounce after that, I guarantee you. I'm actually really surprised that even Space Jam 2 would even be talked about. I mean, obviously, I, we, yeah, we can see there right right in front of us, it did make money. So no doubt about mm-hmm. that whatsoever. But, uh, I mean, like, uh, I mean, the problem is that standards are pretty high now. I should tell you what, actually, like, uh, what if we uh, what if we did that for inflation? So, like, uh, what was it, $230 million uh, dollars, uh, in, in, 1990, in 1997? Uh, it was 1996. Well, I got it down as 1997, but let's have a look at that. So the price difference would be in that would be. I mean, I'm just trying to work it out for inflation, um, if anything. So, um, yeah, sorry that we're all doing math like at the end of the show, but uh, I'm just uh, curious about uh, what this would be if we calculate. Mm-hmm. So, um, ooh, um, I'm, have I put in too many zeros? Uh, yeah, I think I have actually. Let me just uh, so let me say twenty three, so two hundred thirty million dollars from nineteen ninety seven. If that was this today's money, um, probably two hundred ninety seven million. How much would it be today? Uh, would be uh, you would end up with so in today's money, that's about three hundred and three hundred and sixty nine million dollars. In today's wow. movie, which uh, is, uh, I think, is probably average. I think for this type of movie, I probably imagine because keep this in mind: what uh, the uh, the Lion King did a billion at the mm-hmm. box office, and uh, what did what, what did Frozen what did Frozen Two do at the end of the at the end of all of this? Uh, I'm sure. Oh that- well, I, I do know that I do know that Frozen Two was actually oh, ho, ho, ho. Sick. Frozen Two was one point five billion dollars. Oh well, excuse me. Oh. Uh, yeah, Frozen Free, anybody? <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, yeah. So I think, you know, like, uh, I think if they did do, if they are doing Space Jam 2, I guarantee you they're going to be aiming for a high box office. 
I probably would imagine. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, they're going to throw everything at this. And I think if they do, if they don't do, like, uh, say about $500 million at least, I think, at the box office, I think that would be classed as a disappointment, I would have thought. Yeah. Also, depending on how much but, money they uh, throw at it, you know? That's true. Cool. Yeah, but as of right now, you know, the movie will be coming out in July 2021. So uh, we'll just have to see, uh, I mean, anything. Like, we don't even have pictures. We don't have a trailer. We don't have interviews from LeBron James or anybody working on this movie. Um, So we are left in the dark on what it's going to be about. So... Yeah, at, we'll at least at least we have an official announcement. I mean, like, uh, where's the Super Mario Brothers movie up to at the moment? Um, hello, Illumination Studios. Um, you guys still doing that at the minute, or is as uh, as uh, uh, Miyamoto still got you on a short leash? You know? uh, I would probably say yes. Yeah. So that is the end of Aaron and Patricia for another episode. So uh, thanks everybody for checking us out. Um, if you want to check me out uh, for the Aaron Meta Show, it's uh, facebook.com forward slash Aaron Meta Show, uh, AaronMeta.tumblr.com if you want to ask me a question. Uh, if you want to find me out on Twitter, it's at Aaron Meta Show. Also, Instagram is also at Aaron Meta Show as well. A R U N M E H T A S H O W. Patricia, do you want to tell us everybody about the Old School Lane podcast? Okay, yeah, so uh, as of um, t- today, uh, I'm going to be posting up Chapter 2 of Old School Lane Reads, Things I Can't Explain, Chapter 2. And um, last Thursday, we did a book read, uh, well, a book club discussion of Things I Can't Explain, where I went over Chapter 1. So if you want to catch up with that, go over to youtube.com slash oldschoollane. You can check me out on Twitter at patty underscore b underscore Miranda, facebook.com slash oldschoollane. And I have been archiving my podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Radio Public, and so many more. So... Uh, yeah, so tune in for tonight for Chapter 2 of Things I Can't Explain. And also, everybody, if you find Aaron and Patricia Old School Lane, or if you find the Aaron Meta Show on a podcast distribution uh, website that we do not know about, please tweet it to us, and we will promote the hell out of them, because we want you all to listen to us. So, uh, cool. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for checking out Episode 9 of Aaron and Patricia. My name has been Aaron. My name's been Patricia. Take care, have a wonderful week, and we will see you next Sunday. See ya.